Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Behind the Headlines. I'm Jessica Shepard, filling in today for our friend Eric Hultgren, who is hopefully enjoying some of this beautiful Michigan summer. Speaking of Michigan summer and tourism, Tonda Gmitter and Lindsay Moore join John on today's episode to discuss some current trends in the tourism industry, including some, well, mean tourists in northern Michigan. They'll explain that and so much more on today's episode of Behind the Headlines. Hello there, John Heiner. Good morning, Jessica, and thank you for that wonderful substitute introduction. Glad you are turning the knobs today for Behind the Headlines as Eric Hulkran, our regular co-host and producer, is on vacation. And since I never met a easy segue that I passed up, I will say we are now into August and it's the heart of vacation season in Michigan. And it has been a while since we took a kind of a look at the landscape for tourism industry in Michigan, Uh, not just the tourism industry like travel bureaus, but small businesses that depend on tourists and tourism. And we've got a couple of experts here today to talk about that with us on Behind the Headlines. Tonda Gmitter is a director for us of uh, lots of different things. It would be take too long to list them all, but one of the things she's an expert in is is tourism and the travel industry. She writes and directs our content in that topic. Good morning, Tonda. Good morning, John. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you back. And also a repeat behind the headlines visitor is Lindsay Moore. Lindsay is a reporter on our statewide team who covers business and economy issues in Michigan. And she's been here to talk on this topic before. Good morning, Lindsay. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I'd like to cover the the whole landscape of this topic. We Last time we talked about it, we put it through the lens of COVID. And now COVID has kind of become like stranger things. It's like the upside down world's like we're back to life. We Everybody's out. There's no mask. You know, everybody's vacation, traveling. But COVID obviously is still there and it's affecting on a macro scale. It's affecting some things in the economy. We also have you know, a recession, so that's affecting things as well. But this, now that we've kind of gone back to normal with people out traveling and shopping and booking stuff, I think it's a good idea and time to look at the economic conditions for businesses in Northern Michigan. And we are in the throes of the vacation season. Most notably in the last few weeks, both of you have written on the topic of a new pest that has invaded the North. Very aggressive customers that have caused businesses to react in different ways. Lindsay, why don't you talk about the story you wrote a week or so ago about a business up north that had it closed? Sure. Yeah. So there was a restaurant manager I interviewed in Charlevoix who started to get a lot of traction on social media because coming off of Charlevoix's big Venetian festival, she posted on her Facebook that she had posted a sign on her business that said, due to you know rude customers, we're closing early, basically. 
And that absolutely took off. People were so interested, I think, to know the drama, if I'm honest. They love to get into it, but really because it resonated because, like you said, it's become a pest in the northern part of our state and the tourist hotspots that you see it as a customer and certainly the service industry is seeing it and they're kind of fed up with it. And so they were uh, they put their foot down and said, we're closing early after some servers were brought to tears from uh, from some rude folks up there. Yeah, and Tonda, you wrote about a, a pretty well-known business in Bel Air. I want to tell us a little bit about them, and they they were kind of assertive back. <laughs> they <laughs> were they they slapped back, and that's Shorts Brewing, and it is one of the most well-known breweries in Michigan and beyond. And last year, when we were just feeling a little bit more comfortable traveling last summer, they did their first post saying, "Enough is enough." You know, people are coming in here with rude behavior. This time, they got a little bit more focused in their message in the last week. They said, if you can't be kind, we can't serve you. Just basically letting people know that they were seeing a lot of not only rude behavior, verbal insults to the employees, screaming, tirades, things that we would most likely associate with uh, toddler temper tantrums, but in adults who come in you know, and want to be served a meal or have a beer, but don't want to wait in line don't want to handle the atmosphere that we're in with very short, understaffed businesses. And I think it's just kind of a, a symptom of the times that we did not expect fully coming out of the pandemic. That part of it with staffing has persisted, and we'll get to that in a minute. But one thing uh, we've all noticed that I'm sure, and listeners have too, you go to a restaurant, how long, you know, can I get a table? 45 minutes. And you look and there's like eight empty tables. That's just a function of how many employees they have and how much the kitchen can push out. And I think the heydays of, you know, they could pay people low wages and and hire who they wanted are way over. Uh, the McDonald's in my town, I think it's up to $15 is what they're advertising. So there's there's really a, a staff shortage. And, and Lindsay, what are the, right now, not even counting the recession and so forth, but what are the economic in terms of employees, employment, wages, what's happening there and, and how is that affecting tourism and other industries? Sure. Yeah. So right at the beginning of the summer, Michigan's Restaurant and Lodging Association put out a survey and they found it was like 80% of, of who they surveyed in the state said we are understaffed. And then half of those said because we're understaffed, we're cutting hours. And so that's exactly what you're seeing with, you know, the, the signs up that we're closing early or we just don't have enough folks. Like you said, you see the empty tables. And in terms of wages, you're right. They, they're trying really hard to keep up, trying to, you know, do all those extra. We saw sign on bonuses was like the hot thing for a little bit. But I mean, to be frank, right, restaurants especially always had thin margins. And so I think they're kind of at the limit of, of raising wages. I mean, we'll have our eye on what this minimum wage ballot proposal does. But otherwise, I think restaurants have kind of upped the price as much as they can and done the same with wages. They're really on a balancing act before, you know, you see your menu prices go where people won't buy it. Right. So they're really in a tight spot there. Yeah, I think I would take a moment here and be a scold, you know, for anybody who's listening. Because just temper your expectations when you go out. And I, I, I see a lot of businesses that have signs that say, you know, please be nice to the people, the workers who showed up today, <laughs> things like that. And especially in restaurants, we had stories, I think the last time around about like whole kitchen staffs just walking out or not showing up and the waitresses are in there cooking. And the other thing that people should be prepared for is the prices are going up uh, pretty remarkably. Last week, it was 
went out to a place that you would only call the local burger joint, you know, like a bar, the town bar sort of thing, and two drinks and uh, the burgers and the salads. It was with tip, it was like 72 bucks. So you look and you see that the prices like that hamburger is now eleven ninety nine or something, right? I mean, there it's a, it's all supply and stuff of, of that nature. And Tonda, there was another short story that you wrote that's kind of interesting too. That's a facet. It isn't just for them anyways, getting workers. It was the ability for them to be able to stay into business. They had to cast a wider net for workers. So they had to do something kind of novel up there with a hotel. So can you tell our listeners about that? Right. I'll kick it off and then I'm going to send it over to Lindsay because she did a deeper dive on that. But when my team was looking at what restaurants were doing differently, short stood out immediately because they purchased a mom and pop type hotel closer to their Bel Air headquarters. And that was so when they put out the plea for more staffing, they could actually help their workers find a place to live that was affordable, that was close to work. Because so many of the places, especially in our up north communities, they don't have available rental housing right now. If you know that you're going to be moving, let's say, to Traverse City and you need a two-bedroom apartment that allows a dog, people are literally getting online and begging others in social media circles. Do you know anyone who has an apartment? I need to come there for a job. I'm a teacher. I'm coming up and I need to start school and I have nowhere to stay. So Shorts recognized early on, like a lot of other places did, like Cherry Republic, that having housing to offer employees was not only a nice perk, it was a must if they were going to fill those spots. And I'll let Lindsay go into detail on what she found. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. It was interesting to see that intersection, you know, as part of my economy be a cover housing and cover labor. And that's like kind of the perfect intersection there, as Tonda put it, where it became a must, you know, it was no longer a perk. And we did see, especially in northern Michigan, it was almost old hat to them at, at this point. It was just finding new places and, and short stood out because it was unique to have this motel situation. You know, people were quick to compare it to Shit's Creek and they were very just it was an interesting story because of the uniqueness of it. But to Tonda's point, you know, Cherry Republic has been doing this for years with either renting out campsites or they helped renovate a boarding school up there to use it in the off season. Similarly, you know, Boyne Mountain has renovated some of their old lodging areas for workers, it's become an absolute must. And, you know, I'll, I'll do a full circle back around to rude customers. I think it's all a little bit related because part of the reason there's no housing for the workers is because the secret's out about how beautiful Northern Michigan is. And so there's like a huge increase in Airbnbs, no surprise, and just second homes in general. They're really boxing out, you know, the labor force that we need there to actually give you the experience. They can't live there. They can afford to live there because everybody just wants to vacation there. Right. And to go full, full circle, demand increases prices. And also the businesses in order to stay in business have to make investments in housing and and expanded uh, efforts to recruit people and pay more, that that's going to show up in the, the commodity costs and the retail costs and things as well. And, you know, if you want nice things, you have to pay for it. And Northern Michigan is a very nice place. There's still some r rustic campgrounds you can go to in Tonda. We'll have another podcast about that someday. And you can talk and tell people where they can go off in the end of a trail somewhere and, and, and camp on the cheap. But the costs are going up up north. It, it's worth the price. It's a beautiful place. But uh, anyways, tempers are a little frayed. Prices are a little high. And Tonda, I want to shift gears a little bit with staffing and so forth, because you also do a lot of work about Mackinac Island the tourism industry there, the island, this, the businesses there. 
What's the snapshot this year for Mackinac Island with staffing, hiring, and, and demand for people staying on the island this year? I think because Mackinac Island is so used to being one of the top, if not the top tourist destination in Michigan, they have their game really early. Their process is set. They start in the wintertime. You know, the Tourism Bureau there works with all the major employers. And Lindsay can speak to the visa process that brings in a lot of the workers internationally. But they do try to find local workers from across the state and other states. So they put out the call in winter. They have a very organized process where you can get online, look at all the jobs available, um, submit your resume, upload everything you need to, and get an interview without even going to the island. So they have a very smooth process, which they put in place this year. They knew this year was going to be big because of the return to vacationing. They were getting people coming off the island, coming off the island ferries, stepping onto the island before most businesses were even open. Public restrooms were not even open on oh. the island in April. And they had people coming over on the winter ferries that Starline has a winter ferry that is retrofitted to break the ice, basically. It's it's got, you know, a big steel structure and it's it's the Huron. And it can get people over before the tourist season really starts. And Starline was seeing more crowded ferries coming over early. There were one or two restaurants open. And the Tourism Bureau was really focused on making sure everyone felt welcome no matter when they started their trips this year. So that was a big deal for them. They have, as, as Lindsay can fill in on staffing, they had a plan for international workers, much of it done by the visa lottery system, and they seem to be holding their own. I'm not seeing too many complaints online from people. Most of those big resorts and even the smaller mom and pop ones are used to volume. The wrinkle that I see is always interesting to watch how they handle it is now when the big ships, the big Great Lakes cruise ships come in and you can have a couple ships coming in in quick succession. All those people are getting off for a day trip. They want lunch. They want the fudge. They want to see the fort and then they get back on. That'll lead to longer queues. Yes. Uh, Lindsay, you want to talk a little bit about what the, the visa picture looked like this year? Sure. Yeah, I do think that, I mean, Mackinac Island, given that it is such a unique place for its location, it needs a unique kind of labor force. And so what they do every year is they use what's called an H-2B visa, which is for non-agriculture work. And so they bring in folks for Mackinac Island. It's primarily folks from Jamaica, but that program, it goes all the way around the globe, really. I mean, you, you can see someone from just about every other country. And in some ways, Mackinac Island really loves to lean into it. You know, I've seen at the Pink Pony, for instance, you know, if someone's name tag will say where their home country is and it's kind of a conversation starter but for businesses it's absolutely vital i mean they need those folks to come in because they just don't get applications from american workers part of the visa program the requirement is that you have to have that job listed and available for american workers and if nobody fills it then you can apply to to bring a worker over and i have heard from you know everywhere from the big ones the grand hotel to you know the little mom pop shops they're all using this and at this point it's a well-oiled machine but it is full of bureaucratic tape and finances and it is really tough and the demand is so so high for these visas and michigan ranks in the top 10 requesting them every year that it's a lottery system. And so you literally don't know if you will have your workforce when you're planning things out the year ahead. You you apply for these visas in January and you find out if you're lucky a couple months before you open. And quite a few hotels, I mean, last year, Grand Hotel had to really cut back on how many rooms they had opened for 4th of July weekend, for instance, because they just didn't have the staff for it. 
this year they were big lottery winners. So you really never know, but somebody else that probably means somebody else lost their, you know, visa spots. And so it's really tough to, to operate on that. Just the constant flux of that is tough for them. And also an underlying thing is the lack of local workforce. They're moved past that. The last several times I've been up North and been in restaurants and stuff, I've seen servers from Czech Republic, Romania, Slovenia. It's interesting to talk to them to your point. And I, I think I was in one of the places where they had the name tag with their country and got, it's a conversation starter for sure. And they said they, I think they could come for X number of years for like six months or something on that visa. Correct. Yeah. They can stay, they can keep re-upping and follow the sun, quote unquote, and go from one place to the next for, for three years and like six months stints. I highly encourage if any of our readers haven't already read the package on Mackinac Island workers from last summer that they it's we found really interesting stuff. Does the stories of the folks there? I mean, it is literally for the case of Mackinac Island, people hopping from one island to a next. They basically have two different home bases and they get to know the people, not just the workforce on Mackinac Island, but you know, repeat customers. I talk to folks that, you know, they're the babysitter or they are the ones that people like message in the off season. So it's it's a whole nother community. It's a whole ecosystem up there. I will, as an excellent package, Lindsay, and I will link to it in the column that also has this podcast. And perhaps Jessica can, can add it into our, our show notes on this podcast. I mentioned COVID earlier, Tonda and Lindsay, what, where's COVID left us? Where's it left the businesses and the business community? And what is our, any lingering effects on businesses, not health, not the health aspects of COVID, but is, is COVID a thing anymore concerning the travel industry? I think so. I mean, I don't think we had a manual to prepare for how well to come out of a global pandemic when you're a small business vacation destination. But I think we've seen some interesting things. It's almost like when the glaciers receded and left all the sand dune material behind. Now we're trying to figure out how to navigate all that, which is a very Michigan thing to do. What I have seen, and I don't know if Lindsay has seen the same thing, but I have seen very deliberate attempts by businesses, especially in the climate of, of bad behavior by customers, really try to set expectations for people who might not normally visit. So if, if this is not your corner burger joint, if this is not your local bar that you can walk to from home, you're going to want to, as a traveler, you're going to want to check out the Facebook page or the social media or the website of someplace before you visit, understand what their hours are. A lot of places we're seeing are putting out parameters for customers so they know what to expect. Our kitchen closes at nine o'clock. We don't put more than 10 families on a wait list at a time because mm -hmm. that would just be, you know, setting an expectation that we cannot fulfill. They're coming to terms with the staffing this summer. You know, we're into August already. Their staffing is not going to get any better right. this summer. So they are letting people know what to expect when they come there. And as Shorts very nicely said in, in their scolding note, you know, you're in Northern Michigan. If there's a long wait and you want to wait, grab a beer, sit outside on the patio, enjoy the nice weather. That's why you're here. If you're trying to go through and, and get a full meal, beer, excellent service in 25 minutes, probably hit that fast food restaurant down the road instead, because that's going to meet your expectations better. And as I tell people as they're traveling up north, this is the season to be choosy, go out less and tip more. Mm, right. At, we were uh, at the homestead last fall and wanted to sit out by the water. They have a little restaurant out by the water. You could sit on the deck and they had a sign that said, we have one chef, one server, one bartender. If you're impatient, apply for a job. You know, so it, I'll give you a little amateur tip. This is not a pro tip, it's just an amateur tip. But 
it seems like it's an increasing thing where you can't make a reservation. You have to show up and put your name on the list. And sometimes that list is an hour, hour and 15 minutes or something. So if you're in Traverse City, which is this happened to us there when we were there, figure out something else you want to do, whether it's to go downtown, get a beer at the brewery, you know, if you want to go check out some shops. But put your name in, but have a backup plan because like you kind of stew out in the parking lot. I think that's when people's tempers get a little, right? And you may not get in an hour and 15 minutes, but sometimes you get in in 45 minutes. But some places have little buzzers for you too, or they'll text you when your table's ready. So I think just patience, you know, and people being a little nicer to each other. Apparently we've lost that gene during COVID. The, the, the virus knocked that one out, but... Lindsay, what about uh, from your perspective, the business perspective on COVID right now? Yeah, I think the staffing issue is the one that is going to be the most front facing to, to folks that wait time, the menu prices, as we talked about. A point I do want to hit home that really stuck with me after talking to this Charlevoix manager was to remember not just to be patient, but that, you know, like going out is a privilege. If nothing else that COVID taught us after being home for so long is that, you know, this is a service that people are offering you. And she made kind of a, a dark joke where she was like, I don't know if my three-year-old son will even know what going out to eat will be like at this rate, you know, at this trend, who's going to take these jobs? And I see that really coming up in different stories that I'm doing. You know, for instance, I was just doing a story about why aren't teenagers working? And one of the first comments I got from a teenager not working is that she heard horror stories from her friends, horror stories of being yelled at and being short-staffed. And so why would you want your first job to be at a restaurant, right? And so I think to like kind of put the heart and the human face back into business and, and Tana's examples of like the expectation needs to be there. Uh, I know um, the economics are different, but I guess what I'm pleading with people is, is patience is the same thing because otherwise we're all going to lose out on it. Really good point, Lindsay. This is also, we got this other economic issues happening right now. We had some real supply chain issues just from COVID itself, but where we stand with that, because I'll see stores or, or restaurants or whatever, lots of the items that are not on the menu or things that you want to buy and they don't have it in the store. We still struggling with that. Very much so. And it always surprises us, right? We're like, why is butter so pricey all of a sudden? And it turns out it's, you know, some of it is immediate COVID impact and some of it is just really poor timing that for years we told dairy farmers that we didn't want milk and then all of a sudden we all wanted milk and they just couldn't come up to supply and you know so some things are like so backlogged and you're just feeling it now and then some things are very much a, a direct impact still of, of covid supply chains and and just of you know sometimes i've seen menus take stuff off you know we did a whole chicken wing story that they're like we can't afford it we're a chicken place and we're not giving you wings because with the overhead you know and and i hear that even right down to the napkins and you know the ketchup bottles so it, it is still affecting people and businesses in particular that's crazy i tell you what though if you can't get bacon on your burger there are going to be people it's gonna be an insurrection in the streets it's, <laughs> things are going to get really ugly if we can't get bacon Tana, just in general, since you're so in tune with the travel industry, especially up north, any other things that are on their horizon they're concerned about? What what's what are the trends right now? It seems though we, we did come through COVID and we're in this economic malaise that travel seems stronger than ever, at least anecdotally. Travel is incredibly strong right now to all the areas that we would expect. And then even to areas that people seem like they are discovering in larger numbers this year than ever before. People who would maybe cross the Mackinac Bridge to St. Ignace and say, oh, I've been in the UP. 
are now going all the way up to Tequamanon Falls and they are exploring pictured rocks. They're making it over to Keweenaw Peninsula, which is amazing and, and great for the tourism industry there who are very spot on in what they're trying to show people. So I think we're seeing in-state travel is huge, um, going to those outreach destinations a little bit more. But also from what I'm seeing from people in the restaurant and the tourism industry, they're holding their breath a little bit for fall. They assume that fall is going to be very strong and robust just like now. And it's it's Michigan. So it's going to depend on Mother Nature, how mm -hmm. long that lasts. If we get really cold temperatures and snow flurries by Halloween, I think we're going to see, you know, everybody clamping down on travel a little bit as expected. But I don't think people are going to be letting up on the pressure of keeping their their places fully staffed until we're well into late fall. I think okay. people are going to continue that travel stretch right through November this year. Well, and as Lindsay said earlier, margins are pretty thin in the hospitality industry. And you, if you've got good weather, you milk it. And you, if people are coming, you sell to them. I mean, I did a uh, one of those wine tours in Traverse City and it was snowing, you know, places were... It was October, end of October, but they were open and they they were probably happy to have us. And and you know, I should tell our listeners that Tonda also is the editor oversees our weather coverage, so she can do something about that, about the weather. <laughs> Make sure that we have a really nice fall, good good colors, nice and crisp and dry. You're gonna do that, right, Tonda? Absolutely. And I will also remind people that if they are skiers, lift tickets are going on sale this month. Oh my so lord! Get in line. Oh, we got some, we, I saw that we have a story about a very unique, I, I, we're going off on a tangent, but as a skier who skis out West, I was pretty excited to see this. So tell, tell what MLive uh, told our readers. Oh yeah. We recently got a tour of the new D8, which at Boyne Mountain is a eight person chairlift that is going to take people up from the ground to the top of the ski runs in three minutes and 16 seconds. And it was just a marvel to see all these gigantic pieces and how they were putting him together up this hill. And they did a really cool thing several months ago when they took down the Disciples one and two runs and they sold all those small, quaint vintage chairlifts for charity to raise money for youth projects in the Emmett County area up there. And so you have people who would come and they would pay a few hundred dollars and buy these old chairlifts and they're making them into decorations in their lawns up there and they're putting them on swing ropes and having them be front porch swings and so oh, it's it's fantastic. really a fun thing but that d8 is going to be great and it's the third time boyne has put one at their resorts and they put one at loon mountain on the east coast last year and that thing is now retrofitted to carry bikes up and down for mountain biking yeah that started to get out into you know rocky mountain skiing kind of amenities so that's fantastic as a skier I would say eight people getting off a chair at the same time. What could go wrong? But we'll see this winter. Okay, last thing before we wrap up here. I just want to say uh, we're all Michiganders. We love it here. What is still on your bucket list for this summer? You go first, Tonda. What do you want to do? Oh, my gosh. I would love to get to Lachino Islands. Everybody talks about, you know, our famous islands, but there are just so many little islands in that archipelago to explore. And that is north of... Mackinac Island, it is technically in the UP, of course, but it also hugs Lake Huron and they're just, they're picture perfect. Okay, Lindsay. Oh, I am one of the frauds that Tonda talked about where you just dip your toe and say, oh, I've been in the UP. <laughs> so I have so much to explore up there. 
What is actually on my bucket list? It's almost it's kind of the fall season. I really want to see Mackinac Island in full call like fall colors. I it's on my bucket list to go for Halloween. I'd love to spend a spooky weekend in Mackinac Island. So we'll see if it happens this year. I have not ridden my bike up north yet. I have not camped up north yet, and I have not golfed up north yet. And I'm hoping to remedy all that um, in September's. Uh, September, October, and, and fall colors, of course. I just love going up there for the fall. Thank you both for joining today. This is a very interesting topic. Thanks for all the reporting you're doing on both the economy, tourism, small businesses. I think it's a real service to them and, and to our readers. So thank you, Lindsay, for joining us today. Thank you, Tonda, for this episode of Behind the Headlines. Thanks for joining us on Behind the Headlines. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you liked this episode, share it with your friends. And don't forget to visit MLive.com for the latest Michigan news. We'll see you back here next time on Behind the Headlines.